Are we there yet? Oh, we heard donkey say it, didn't we? Are we there yet? When are we going to get there? Uh, that's what the kids say when the family goes on holidays, the long car trips. The parents know the trip will take 10 hours. The kids don't understand 10 hours. So half an hour in, the questions begin. Are we there yet? When are we going to stop? He's sitting on my side. She's touching me. Uh, and depending on how far away you are, the parents have a few strategies to deal with it. It begins with realism. We're going to be driving all day until dinner time. Get used to it. Or there's the bluff. We're nearly there. Almost. But that loses its impact, I can tell you from personal experience, if you use it too early. And then as the trip gets close to the end, desperation sets in. Just around the next corner. Just after the next McDonald's. We'll be there the next time the Colin Buchanan CD finishes again. Uh, The problem is kids can't understand distances. They can't understand times. Parents have got a better perspective. Parents struggle to communicate that perspective to kids. It's the sort of thing that's happening here in Habakkuk 2. God has a much clearer perspective on good and evil, on time and patience and justice. And Habakkuk, well, he's the child who just needs to learn some of that. Remember back to chapter 1 last week. Habakkuk sees the wickedness and injustice all around him and he wants to know how long until God sets things right. And God says he's going to raise up wicked and cruel Babylon as his instrument to bring justice. Well, chapter 1 verse 13, Habakkuk can't understand how he could possibly do that. Not only how long but how. How can God, whose eyes are too pure to look at evil, How can he tolerate the wicked? How can he do nothing while they go on destroying people more righteous than themselves? Remember last week we asked the age-old question about why bad things happen to good people. And so, chapter 2, verse 1, Habakkuk is going to sit and wait for God's answer. And interestingly, perhaps ironically, when God's answer comes, it's pretty much the same. Sit and wait. You want to know how long? Well, my answer is longer. Verse 2, the Lord replied, write down the revelation for it awaits an appointed time. Verse 3, it speaks of the end and it won't prove false. Though it linger, wait for it, it will certainly come and will not delay. In other words, Habakkuk says how long and God says, I'm going to tell you what is going to happen and it's, it's truly, it's definitely going to happen, but just not yet. So you're just going to have to wait a little longer. I am the king, it's just that you don't see me ruling everything yet. It's a bit like the holiday trip. When do holidays begin? Well, in one sense you're on holidays as soon as you pull the front door shut, as soon as you leave the house. The journey is part of your holidays. But in a sense, it's also not yet holidays, isn't it? Because you haven't arrived at your destination. And so you have to wait a little longer for the full holiday experience. So when you're on the trip, are you on holidays? Well, yes and no. It's the same with God's kingdom. Are we in the middle of God's kingdom? Well, yes and no. God is king, yes. He's king now. But he's also not yet king in a way that everybody recognises. 
there's still justice to be brought. There are still wrongs to be righted. There's still sin and sickness and death and pain. So so God can't be fully king in the way that he's planning to be king. There's more to be revealed about what that means and we just have to wait for it. Do you remember what we saw last week in chapter 3 of the Westminster Confession? Uh, It says on the one hand, God has freely and unchangeably planned from all eternity everything that comes to pass and he brings it to pass. He is the king. But then it said on the other hand, he does all of that in such a way that he's not the author of sin. He doesn't force people to do what they don't want to do. Sin still happens even though God is king and brings it to pass. In other words, there are some aspects of God's kingly reign that he's not enforcing. He's not enforcing them, at least not yet. Part of the answer to how that works is the way he's made us as human beings. Uh, We're made in his image, the only thing in all creation who can freely choose to obey or ignore him. And God holds us accountable for that choice. Uh, And so we're without excuse. That's part of the answer to why... Uh, why there's suffering if God is the king, why God allows evil to continue. Uh, The answer is much of the suffering we see around us is the result of our sin, my sin and your sin, of our greed, wars and pollution and murder and injustice. The blame for all of that is firmly on us rather than God. And God has his loving, wise reasons why he's waiting to put an end to all of that while he's waiting for his kingly uh, justice to come down. We'll see more of that later. Uh, So verse 3, God tells Habakkuk to write down the revelation because he's about to tell him what's going to happen. And he says it won't be quick, but it will certainly come. And from verse 4, we can see what this revelation is. So have a look at it, uh, what the future is going to look like, the time when God's rule as king is finally seen. He says, at the moment, verse 4, the wicked are here, they're puffed up, Uh, his his desires won't stand. Uh, But here's what's coming, says God, from verse 6. And there's a whole series of woes, a whole series of judgments of bad things for the wicked, probably speaking about Babylon. Uh, And these woes are spoken by the victims of Babylon, the ones on the receiving end, all the people who have been taken captive in the end will taunt and ridicule and scorn uh, the one who's been doing the wicked. And they'll actually enjoy seeing justice done. God had raised up this uh, Babylon to to bring about his purposes, but he's also going to punish Babylon uh, for the way that they chose to do that, uh, to, uh, to exert that rule. He's the king and he's the judge. And this chapter is about the judgment that God's bringing against wicked Babylon. And one of the things, we're not going to go through all of those woes, but just one thing to notice about them is that when God is bringing justice, punishment fits the crime. So, for example, verse 6, Woe to him who steals and extorts, because the time is coming when those you plundered will plunder you. You get what you deserve, that's fair. Well, verse 9, Woe to him who builds an empire with unjust gain, with bribes and tricks. 
Verse 11, the city he built will cry out against him. It won't testify to what a success he's made, but it'll complain about his oppression and his vice. Or verse 12, woe to him who builds by violence, because what he's built will be violently destroyed by fire. Or verse 15, woe to him who sexually degrades others with wine, He'll be forced to drink a cup as well, the cup of God's wrath. That's just and fair. And the victims rejoice to see God's justice come. Uh, Or finally verse 19, Woe to him who worships lifeless, voiceless idols because in verse 20 he'll be forced to be silent just like the idols that he worships, forced to be silent before the God who's ruling To give credit to an idol for the events of life that happen is just a ridiculous thing to do. It comes from this false view of the world, a view where God isn't the king. Uh, The people of Babylon thought the idols were controlling things uh, when the reality was God was king. He just wasn't stepping in and ruling everything. So in a sense the, the idolatry was a result of God holding his hands back and and not stepping in just yet. God's kingdom hadn't fully been revealed yet. Not yet. We do, though, get a glimpse in this chapter of what that future will look like when God does step in, not just in justice, but when we see the good and the positive. Verse 14, The nations have exhausted themselves, building up their idolatrous empires. But verse 14, we read, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. One day, one day when God's justice does finally come, everyone will know that glory, the glory of judgement on the one hand and the glory of salvation on the other, from the east to the west. That'll be the day when it's no more not yet, but it's all now, when God is completely and thoroughly king. And that's the goal for the whole of creation that God is working towards, but the goal of the whole of history. And it's part of the answer for why God is delaying his kingly judgment, because he actually wants as many people as possible to recognise him before that day. He's drawing people to repentance through the gospel. We see it in 2 Peter chapter 3. The people in Peter's time were were scoffing, saying, God's never going to come back, see he hasn't come back yet. And Peter said it's not that he is lazy or slow to keep his promise, he's actually very patient. He actually wants people to come to repentance. And so Peter answers those people who are scoffing to Peter chapter 3 and he says in verse 8, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is holding back, bringing his kingly justice because he wants people to come to him. Peter says, what would you know about time? God knows everything about time. Peter says, God's delay is because of his patience. He longs for justice on the one hand, but he also longs for repentance and so he's delaying that day of justice. 
So what does all that mean for us? Well, we're called to do the same. Uh, God calls us to wait, just as he is patiently waiting. Uh, Back in verse 3, he says to Habakkuk, though it linger, wait for it, be patient. Uh, Yes, we should see the injustice around us and we should pray for God's justice to come, but we should also be praying for mercy. If we've got God's heart, we should be praying for mercy. God wants none to perish, but all to come to repentance. So we should pray for the same thing. We may not see justice now, but if we wait patiently, we will see it. You know, it's not only us on earth who are waiting. Uh, There's a longing for justice and there's a waiting in heaven as well. Uh, Revelation 6, I wouldn't mind if you flipped over to that. It's sort of, we're nearly at the end of the Old Testament. Revelation 6 is near the end of the New Testament. Uh, Revelation 6 describes the souls of Christian martyrs. It's interesting the patterns of uh, 7 in Revelation. Uh, We we get these series of 6 things and then there's a, a little rest, like an intermission, and then you get the 7th one. And this is like this is a little intermission between six and one, and it's a little vision to to refresh the people who've been listening to all of the these visions of things, and it's describing their fellow Christians who are in heaven. Uh, they're martyrs; they've been killed, uh, but they're protected; they're safe. And uh, Revelation six verse ten. Uh, the souls of Christian martyrs underneath the altar cry out in a loud voice and they say, How long, Sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? So, so these are our Christian brothers and sisters who are victims of injustice, uh, even to death, and they're calling for justice. They want to see things put right. They want to address God as sovereign... Uh, sorry, they address God as sovereign Lord. He's the king, but he's not yet the ultimate king in a way that everybody will see. That'll only happen on the day of judgement. And so they want to know how long, how long until you are fully and completely king. And listen to God's answer. Verse 11 of Revelation 6. Then each of them was was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. God's answer to the martyrs underneath the altar is pretty much the answer he gives to Habakkuk, isn't it? There's still more martyrs to come. The number's not complete. Now that's confusing. It's heartbreaking, isn't it? But there's also a comfort too in that message because it's all in God's sovereign control. That number is completely planned by God and while death for anyone is terrible and terrifying, it's the worst the Christian can suffer. Death is but a moment and then the suffering's over and then they, like the martyrs who are in comfort and uh, under, under the altar, there's comfort for us as well in that that our brothers and sisters are crying out with us and they're asking how long. There's a partnership that's reassuring. Well, another way of describing uh, how we're to wait, like Habakkuk, uh, is back there in Habakkuk 2, Habakkuk 2 verse 4. 
It's a really well-known verse and it says, the righteous live by his faith, or the righteous will live by his faith. That's how we're to live. On the one hand, the wicked is, is puffed up and he won't endure, but on the other hand, the righteous will live, will continue to live by his faith. And when that's used in the New Testament, that's used in a few different ways, but one of the ideas is that we're called to trust God in the gap. We're to live while we trust him. The gap between the now and the not yet. We're to rely on God's faithfulness and his kingly authority even when we can't see it. That's what it means for us to live now by our faith. Uh, To live confidently that God, even though we can't see it, is working and is bringing things about. We're to wait, not impatiently, not grumbling, not complaining, but quiet submission. Uh, Verse 20 talks about us being silent before him. That's the silence of faith. Let all the earth be silent. God is on his throne and we're called to live quietly and trustingly, submitting to him, even if we can't see that he's king. When we struggle to see it, when we're tempted to seek our own revenge, or doubt that God will bring in his kingdom, we just need to look at the cross. Uh, We're better off than Habakkuk was. Uh, The cross is God's ultimate statement that that he has acted justly, that he won't let evil flourish, that he will one day be king. He cares about his own name and his own justice so much he poured his justice out on his own son, lest he be accused of overlooking sin. Romans 3, he talks about how the cross shows that he uh, is the one who is just, who is true and faithful. Uh, Romans 3.25, he said, God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, in his patience, he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. So people said, that's not fair. People are getting away with it. People are being forgiven when they've done the wrong thing. That's not fair. How's that just? And so God punishes Jesus, lest he be accused of being unjust. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, to be both just and the one who justifies those who trust Jesus. Habakkuk didn't get to see that. But the cross was God's demonstration that he won't overlook injustice, that he's patiently waiting until just the right time. And then at that most significant moment in history, he takes out all his anger, his righteous anger, for the sins of the whole world on his son. The sins of Habakkuk, the sins of Israel and Babylon and Assyria, completely satisfying his justice so that when we trust that work of Jesus, we can be made right as well. And we may still have to wait a little longer to see the full outworking of God's justice. We now, though, have the promise of God's future kingdom made more certain because of the promise of the cross, because of the demonstration of his justice in Jesus. And so God's got that same message for us that he had for Habakkuk. To trust me, to live by faith, to live in the gap between the now 
and the not yet as we confidently and obediently wait because we're confident that one day the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God, the whole earth from east to west, north to south. It will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. What a great day that will be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for the words of Habakkuk, for, for his questions. We thank you for your patience with him and your answers. And we pray that when we fail to recognise the patience, the, the time, uh, the delay, uh, that you would help us to trust you in the gap, uh, help us to wait. And as we do that, we pray that we might look to Jesus and see in Jesus a demonstration of your love and your justice and your determination to one day bring all to right. And we pray that we might trust him as we wait. Amen. Uh, John's going to come and keep leading us in prayer. Thanks, John.